0: Welcome to The Blast Zone, the podcast where we dig up the bombs that shook Hollywood and try to find out why they went up in flames. This week, put on some Steely Dan and send your brain to the afterlife, because this is R.I.P.D. Welcome, welcome to The Blast Zone. Welcome to The Blast Zone. I am John Drake, in-house film critic of my Letterboxd account. And
1: I'm Ian Dukes. I'm a
0: person with thoughts and feelings, and some of them are about movies. Movies like R.I.P.D., which we'll be talking about today. Oh, the thoughts we will have. We've got some thoughts, ladies and gentlemen. Just to remind you, this podcast is not a podcast about bad movies. It's a podcast about movies that did badly, but some of them are bad like today's.
1: Sometimes they're bad.
0: <laughs> Not all the time, but I would say definitely today because we got a stinker on our hands. But before we get into that, how are you doing this weekend?
1: I'm doing all right. I'm swinging on my usual thin string and just enjoying the ride. How about you?
0: Nice. Yeah, I'm hanging in there. The weather's starting to warm up. We've had some April showers lately, but I've been getting out and doing some landscaping for the first time. Oh, nice. I've never had a yard to landscape before. We moved oh, into wow. a house this winter, so I bought a lawnmower and all the tools that go with lawn maintenance and I'm learning how to do it by the seat of my pants.
1: Oh, that's great. I'm fairly new to that stuff myself. I have a few roses that I look after, and it's very rewarding if you make things
0: green and nice. Yeah, I think it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Not a fan of all the bugs, but you know, I think I'm going to have Mm. to get used to that because they tend to come with the outside. Aside from that, though, I'm doing pretty well. Did you watch anything this week you wanted to talk about aside from what we watch for the podcast every week? I sure did. I brought
1: something for show and tell inspired by the 2021 Academy Awards. Which didn't inspire a lot of people, but inspired me to watch one of the movies that won something. I don't even know what it won because I didn't watch, but I watched Sound of Metal.
0: Uh, Sound Design, I believe. Oh,
1: okay, yeah. It was a sound-centric movie. It was a fine movie. It had a great lead performance from Riz Ahmed and an interesting role. And it had this sort of very indie film story structure, right? Where I felt like there was, all this missed opportunity where this guy falls into this situation and struggles to deal with it but they didn't really set it up. They just sort of showed you where he was and that he was a nice guy and that he was dedicated to rock and roll. But I don't know. I felt like they left stuff on the table in terms of how they could have sucked you into this guy and how his relationship... And his sense of identity around being a rock musician was tenuous before his hearing issues struck. Mm -hmm. But it kind of didn't establish that as tenuous. It just sort of showed you how it was ongoing in a steady state. I, I don't know. That's a weird complaint to have. But it was a cool movie. I get why a lot of people liked it. It was certainly really moving. And the glimpse into deaf culture was edifying and also moving and made the film really interesting to me.
0: Yeah. It's a movie I wanted to like more than I actually did, but I loved Riz Ahmed in it. And I don't think I've ever seen him in anything where I wasn't just immediately impressed and mm-hmm. taken by his performance. If you haven't seen the HBO miniseries, The Night Of, I mean, he's just mind-blowingly good in that. Mm-hmm. And in uh, Rogue One as well, He he puts in a good performance, obviously a very different type of movie and a smaller part. But I'm I'm happy to see him kind of carrying a movie that's getting real awards consideration. It didn't walk away with any of the big ones, obviously. But he's definitely an actor to watch. I think we're going to see him have a really great career going forward.
1: Yeah, he's, he seems to be doing things right. Let's hope he keeps doing that.
0: Absolutely. I checked out a 2019 or 2020 movie. I think it was maybe supposed to be released in, in 2019 and they pushed it to 2020, not knowing what was going to happen. And then it just kind of got dumped onto streaming services because of COVID, but called um, Buffaloed starring Zoe Deutsch, oh. who I find delightful. She was in The Disaster Artist and in the Zombieland sequel that came out in 2019. She plays a deck collector in Buffalo, New York, and it kind of takes a Wolf of Wall Street style thing where she gets into it with the best intentions but goes down a dark path obviously On a smaller scale, because debt collecting is not stockbrokers. It's a little bit of a less glamorous industry. But it was interesting because I Mm -hmm. did spend some time in Buffalo. I lived there for about three years. And debt collecting is like a weirdly popular industry up there. It's like they're everywhere. Everyone you meet at a bar or whatever, they work for some kind of debt collection agency. And like I worked in a big building for Geico Insurance and right up the street was a debt collection office. And in the other direction was another debt collection office. Wow. But I, I wonder how much appeal the movie would have to somebody who doesn't have a lot of familiarity with Buffalo culture because there's a lot of very specific jokes and and call outs in it.
1: Oh, so they were talking to you,
0: but they were talking to me. So yeah, somebody with that background, I was like, oh, cool. Like I know that street or I've eaten at that pizza place or I've been to that bar. It was, it was just a fun little stroll down memory lane. I enjoyed my time in Buffalo, New York. It's a cool city. It was nice to revisit. It's
1: neat that they made this movie for you. I might have to check it out and see if it does anything for me.
0: Me specifically. They picked one of my favorite young actresses. They picked a city I enjoy and they just made me a movie. Pretty cool concierge service. Exactly. You love to see it. But this week we are talking about the 2013 disaster, RIPD, starring Ryan Reynolds, Jeff Bridges. What do we say about this movie? (laughs) We just, you might hear me taking deep breaths. A lot of sighing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Let me just start off
1: in case I stumbled during this taping. I have a hard time saying RIPD, even though there's clearly periods and it's an abbreviation. Every time I see the title, my mind says ripped. So I might just I might rip out a few RIPs when I was trying to refer to the movie. Well, that um, raises
0: the question, was this really a good title for a movie? And maybe we'll get into that a little more <laughs> later on.
1: I mean, I've always wanted to get ripped, so that might have made me more incentivized to see the movie. I did not end up ripped at the end of the movie, so that was a letdown. And I would tell my friends, don't bother.
0: Sadly, Ian did not get ripped because of this movie, but... <laughs> (laughs) If it inspires you to get ripped in the future, then this movie accomplished one good thing. And that's more than it accomplished so far. Yeah.
1: One thing. We're going to look to chalk up one thing by the end of the podcast.
0: One good thing. Do you want to get into this movie? What it's about? Who made it and why? Yeah. Tell us
1: about this movie.
0: All right. So... In October 1999, Dark Horse Comics released the first issue of the Peter Lenkov-written comic book R.I.P.D. The comic would follow the adventures of deceased police officer Nick Cruz, who agrees to serve 100 years as an officer in the Rest and Peace Department, or R.I.P.D. for short, in exchange for a better shot at getting into heaven. The job consists of hunting down dead people who stayed on Earth and essentially morphed into demonic monsters, and sending them on to the afterlife. Oh, send me next. The comic only consisted of one four-issue miniseries, making it maybe a strange choice for a big-budget feature film adaptation, but the movie was greenlit regardless. What could go wrong? Ryan Reynolds was attached to star as the renamed hero Nick Walker and German director Robert Schwenke, who had directed a string of profitable movies with mediocre critic reviews in Flight Plan, The Time Traveler's Wife, and Red was chosen to direct. Lock in that schwenke swagger. Principal photography was completed in early 2012, and the film was eventually released on July 19, 2013. Early buzz around the movie was negative, and there were reports that the budget had ballooned to over million released to disastrous reviews and a poor box office showing the movie was dead on arrival and would lose an estimated $93 million.
1: Ouch. RIP the profits on this thing.
0: RIP the profits, RIP the reviews. And there was really nothing positive to come out of this experience. It was a failure on almost every level for everyone involved. Let me just say at the beginning, I totally
1: get where you're coming from. Like you did not like this movie. I couldn't feel that strongly about this movie. There were a lot of things that it does that are annoying because they don't quite work and because they're very loud and in your face as they're failing to work. But what I mostly came away with was sort of very neutral feelings like, okay, the movie happened and the things happened and then the guy did the thing. And then I'm back staring at my computer screen,
0: deciding what to watch next. You know, you're not wrong. The movie does not inspire a lot of extreme feelings on either end of the spectrum for me, but- as I think I've mentioned a few times, specifically on the last Action Hero episode, I would much rather see a bad movie that is trying to do something exciting than a movie that simply exists and is still bad. Like, this movie had low aims and it didn't even hit them. I'd rather a movie try their very best to be something transcendent and fail spectacularly than try to just be essentially men in black, but fuck that up too. Like you can't even get (laughs) that right.
1: So I totally hear what you're saying. And I always give points for movies that attempt to take even medium sized swings, but big swings even better. This movie, I guess takes one certain kind of swing, which is the raw concept. It's like, Hey, we're going to make a movie. that's about this big high concept thing. What if when semi bad cops die, they have to work off their sins by, Going back to Earth and chasing down even more evil dead souls. And that's actually, hey, that's a good concept. It sounds like a good basis for a comic book and maybe for a movie. So that was the one credit that I gave them going in. And then everything that it uses is either derivative or just formulaic and transparent and not really clicking that you're like, oh, they could have done something with it. And then they just kind of filled in the blanks in a very uninspiring kind of way.
0: Right and e- even that concept which is kind of a cool concept it's it's a retread of a few other IPs we've seen over the past you know whether they be comic books whether they be movies TV shows whatever it's just a mismatch of ideas other people had first and did better yeah. Yeah, we'll get into kind of some of the major influences besides Men in Black, which has been called out quite a bit. I read reviews and watched some stuff on this movie and the Men in Black comparison gets brought up constantly and that makes sense because it really is yeah, almost a one-to-one recreation of that central relationship between the two main characters and you know, that fish out of water scenario.
1: Yeah. I mean you can't help it it's everywhere. We're probably gonna bring it up twenty five times because it's all over the thing. And that in itself is annoying. Just going, ah, yeah, men in black did this and that's very men in black. And oh there was a guy like that in men in black, wasn't there?
0: Right. And then but if you just want to tack off some of the other influences and I'll say influences loosely more, mm-hmm. you've got Ghostbusters obviously. Yeah. You've got Hellboy in a lot of ways. Okay. You've got Pirates of the Caribbean. The main goal of the bad guys in this movie is pretty much ripped from Pirates of the Caribbean.
1: Ah, yeah. You've got
0: the Hellblazer comics with John Constantine and the Constantine movie with Keanu Reeves from all those years ago. Different tone, but similar kind of stuff going on. So interesting. They pulled from a lot of different franchises and just didn't seem to grasp what made any of them popular in the first place
1: i think that you could have made it work but you do have to bring something fresh that's more than just well our gun is a revolver and hellboy yeah <laughs> oh right <laughs> shit.
0: <laughs> the samaritan looks a lot like the other uh, guns the ripd officers use
1: that's true i forgot i was thinking of the men in black guns um, right
0: they were a little more like high tech space AG. Yeah,
1: but they were also sort of chromey and polished and stuff.
0: Right. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, there's not going to be it's going to be a stretch to find like an original thought in this movie. And I promise I won't call out everything that they stole from everywhere else because inspiration is not altogether a bad thing. You can make an homage film and do it well and I'll still enjoy it. Like I loved heat. I also loved Den of Thieves, albeit for different reasons. It's a trashier version of it. It's do it's doing the same shit. But it does it well, and it knows what it's doing, and it kind of winks at you here and there, and that's fine. Not every movie needs to be a brand new idea that lights the world on fire. Just if you're going to steal, do it well. Yeah,
1: that's what this movie sort of leaves you with this weird itch that you can't scratch because it feels like it should be working. It's got these people. It's Ryan Reynolds. It's Kevin Bacon. It's Jeff Bridges. Like- really charming actors high production value i mean not in every sense we'll talk about the cgi and
0: stuff but like high budget for sure
1: yeah it's high it's a high budget it's a big production it's the kind that could work so you sit there it's more that sort of waste of potential that gnaws at you and uh, yeah leaves you with a weird feeling like we have almost as though you're a, a ghost unable to settle your accounts on earth and move on to the next realm
0: Ooh. Spook. <laughs> All right. Do you want to talk about the, uh, the plot of the movie so we can break it down and kind of get into our thoughts? Let's
1: jump into the story. So it starts out during a drug raid. Boston detective Nick Walker, played by Ryan Reynolds, is killed. And right away, his spirit is recruited into the Rest in Peace Department, an organization of dead ex-cops who redeem their minor sins in life by cleaning up the living world from deados, who are the souls of evil dead folks who refuse to go to hell. Turns out it was actually Nick's partner, Bobby, played by Kevin Bacon, who killed Nick after Nick told him he planned to turn in the shards of gold artifacts that they both found on a prior bust. Now, in the RIPD, Nick is paired with an ornery ex-US marshal named Roy Pulsifer, played by Jeff Bridges, and he's sent back down to Earth to do his new job.
0: That's funny. You said Jeff Bridges plays a character named Roy, because all my notes have him listed as accent and mustache. Oh, okay. I I thought his character was just named accent and mustache because all he's doing is a fucking accent and he's got a mustache. (laughs) Like what is Jeff Bridges is on some shit in this movie, man. He is going for it. You don't see any cracks in that character that he throws up,
1: which is a weird, it's almost like he's spoofing himself.
0: Absolutely. I think that's what he's doing.
1: Yeah. It was like, what if Rooster Cogburn was kind of cringy?
0: Yes. And also he does a pretty close approximation of this accent in hell or high water as well, which is a great movie if you haven't seen it. Love that. I movie. did
1: see it and I forgot that he was in there doing this accent. But, yeah, he's
0: pretty much playing the same guy, but much more solemn. Well, not much more solemn. He's he's a real jokester in that movie, too. But he's probably the the brightest, bright spot in this movie for me. I don't know how you feel about him. I mean, he's hard to
1: dislike. He's such a likable dude in this and in the rest of his career. He is the dude. So, I mean, he could have stopped right there. But true. But yeah, he was I didn't really like him. He rubbed me the wrong way. His character is supposed to rub you the wrong way because what he does is rub Brian Reynolds the wrong way right. constantly. And that got tiring, slightly obnoxious.
0: Weird seeing Ryan Reynolds kind of play like the straight man in a movie because he's become such like a wacky, almost caricature of himself the past few years with the Deadpool movies. He's always cracking jokes in every scene he's in in almost every movie, it feels like. And seeing him play a guy who makes a joke here and there, but really is just reacting to other people's jokes, like the Jeff Mm -hmm. Bridges character, was a little jarring. I wasn't really used to it, but Ryan Reynolds wasn't really Ryan Reynolds yet. We'll talk about that a little later on, I think. He was a movie star, but he wasn't like this powerhouse yet. Not necessarily, they might have tried to make him that. So right off the bat, the hero is a dirty cop. That's a bold choice. If you're not making a complex drama about flawed heroes that you still want, like, does he steal some gold? Has this happened before? Do they clarify if he's ever stole stuff
1: before? Oh, I think you're on to one of what's one of the biggest holes in the movie is like it would be really ambitious if they actually gave him some dirty cop motivation and made him a really conflicted dude. But they kind of don't. They kind of just brush a little bit of it on. Basically, as soon as we find out he's dirty, he's already coming clean. So it's not like a flaw or an issue that he deals with throughout the movie. He deals with the repercussions of it a little bit. Like it sort of reflects badly on his wife after he's dead and not there to talk about it or like act on it. But it's kind of a cheap, no stakes version of being a dirty cop, right?
0: Right. And usually in these movies, if a cop's dirty, it's because they... a kid that needs an expensive surgery or like if they're the hero obviously there's dirty cops in all movies for for terrible reasons but if this guy you're supposed to root for somebody needs an expensive surgery he can't afford they need to get Someone needs to get their brother out of a jam because he gambled away money he owes some dangerous person.
1: These are all great ideas. You should have pitched (laughs) these at the meeting.
0: (laughs) I should have, right? But no, Ryan Reynolds is like, thinks his wife deserves like a nicer house or something. Like, what is his motivation here? He just wanted some money. they have a killer house. There he got a sweet house. Somewhere in
1: a nice neighborhood in Boston.
0: With a fucking orange tree. Is he an idiot? You know how cold Boston gets (laughs) in the winter? Give me a fucking break. Also, he's a Boston cop. You have seen a Boston cop? I have not. They, they don't look like Ryan fucking Reynolds. They don't even look like Kevin Bacon. They look like <laughs> what you would imagine a Boston cop looks like. I just. it's He it lost also, some
1: credibility right from the get go. The minute his yeah. face comes on screen.
0: Also, there's some whitewashing, changing his character from Nick Cruz to Nick Walker so Ryan Reynolds could play him. Right, Not really a good look. Yeah, um, unfortunate
1: when you had a character that could have made the movie more interesting.
0: And that's no knock on Ryan Reynolds. I think he's fine in this. None of the performances are really mainly what I have an issue with. It's just the stuff they're doing, the words they're saying, the actions they're taking that just don't resonate with me at all. And
1: like the first thing it does, it starts with a flash forward action scene where you're in the middle of things and you get that. Actually, that's part of why the Ryan Reynolds thing is disorienting, because he narrates the opening sequence and he's a little jokey. You go, oh, it's it's a Deadpool thing. He's going to be funny, you know, breaking in with funny observations no, that was just the opening. And it's kind of a half-assed opening. It's a piece from the start of the finale. And I get why it's there. It gives you some little taste of action before it goes into these long, slow, quiet exposition scenes where it introduces you to the wife and to the partner. But like, there's actually no fun payoff in that scene or almost in any of the action scenes. If you don't buy into what this movie is offering you from standpoint of action scenes, it's just a gross out CGI character acting dopey and jumping around and smashing things like is that fun on its own I didn't think so
0: no I think the action scenes are the weakest part of this movie to be honest they're not engaging they're not interesting to look at they have no stakes as far as I can tell and the CGI in them is pretty dog shit like I think a more <laughs> hard-boiled detective story with these two guys would have been the movie I'd rather watch uh-huh. the action scenes kind of lose my interest in this movie
1: that's a good suggestion that would have been fun because yeah it just goes straight from like oh there's another movie they pulled they did a, a Blade Runner Boycott on the perps to figure out if they're actually deados
0: with the cumin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah with, Before we started yeah. recording, I was like, what movie are you recording? And I was like, oh, RIPD. And she's like, I've never heard of that movie. So I was telling her, yeah, they're dead, but you can make them look like monsters if you eat cumin around them. She was like, (laughs) what? I was like, yeah, I know. It doesn't make any more sense to me. And I watched the fucking thing. But yeah. That's
1: an example of the movie being quirky. Like, well, what if we throw something quirky in there? Or maybe it's in the comic book. We don't know because we didn't certainly have the energy to research that much.
0: No, there's not a lot of information about this movie out there because it's not a famous flop. Just no one gives a shit about it. So I did toy with the idea of buying the comics to read them to kind of see what parallels there are between the movie and the comic book, but, Then I I didn't because it was $8 and I don't want to spend money on this (laughs) fucking movie. But I did browse the free preview and yeah, the central premise is pretty similar, but that's it as far as I could tell.
1: So in this section, when Nick goes back to Earth for the first time is to his own funeral. And this to me was the one part of the movie that had something to offer because here we are now, we're finding out, okay, what does this really mean? What's it like when these guys go back to Earth? And they told him in advance, hey, you're not going back to hang out with your wife. That's not what this is about out. But nevertheless, he tries at his funeral. And that sort of reveals this little factoid that in this reality, when the cops come back to Earth, they don't look like they did. They have these avatars that look and sound totally different to the living people on Earth. And that was funny because it was unexpected. It was something fresh. I At least I didn't see that coming, unlike a lot of the other things that seemed retreaded or or sort of telegraphed. Did you find that seem fun and funny?
0: I thought it had good comic potential, even if it didn't quite live up to it. It seemed like a one note joke that isn't it funny that these white guys don't look like white guys all of a sudden, you know, it's a good visual gag the first time, but they don't pay it off enough. Like Marissa Miller is obviously a very attractive woman Mm -hmm. playing Roy's avatar and James Hong, who's a very famous actor, but an elderly Asian man playing Nick's avatar. And it's just like, isn't it funny that some people are old and Asian? And also, isn't it funny that some people are women? (laughs) Because it doesn't really do anything for the movie. They just do a couple gags with people approaching Roy when he's on earth and hitting on him. But clearly it's Jeff Bridges. We see him as Jeff Bridges, but he was interacting with, see him as Marissa Miller. And there was, I got a couple chuckles out of that, but the concept either should have been taken further or not brought in at all because it feels half-assed. And then it just starts to feel like we're laughing at people for being old or different than what these white guys look like. Yeah,
1: no, I had that same thing. I'm like, oh, something surprised me. Something was unexpected and and actually makes you laugh. And then I'm like, oh, do I feel good about laughing at James Hong because he looks like that? I don't know. So it's a slightly icky thing that follows you through it. And they bring it back with the Marvin Gaye every time someone bumps into Roy's avatar.
0: Right. And he seems to have some fun with it, too. Roy's got his own sexual kinks, I guess we'll say. He's an ankle man. He likes <laughs> oh, that's ankles. Right. Yeah. That's one of his quirks as a character. He loves an ankle. Okay. Um, so
1: well, you weren't fair to him earlier. He an accent and a mustache and an ankle. That's,
0: that's true. That's true. That's He's one got more another thing, thing for the list. I don't want to just be all negative. I did think it was kind of cool to see the RIPD headquarters when they're in like the bullpen with all the other RIPD officers seeing yes. cops in uniforms that were appropriate for the time period where they were a cop was kind of interesting because you get all these different century spanning uniforms and, and from all over the globe and everything. It was kind of cool to see.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. That was a fun part. And the production designer and costume people had fun with that and did a nice job of showing this broad swath of history and different faces and looks across this police station. Wasn't
0: And then Mary Louise Parker as Proctor, who is the boss, I guess, of Nick and Roycephus. Right. Who also had a romantic relationship with Roycephus at some point. She's really going for it. She's chewing up some scenery, having some fun with the role. Yeah. I'm a fan of hers as an actor, so I didn't mind her being on screen, but it's kind of a thankless role.
1: It kind of was. And that the sort of history that the two of them have feels really forced. Like, it, like, oh, we need something for them to argue about. So they just kind of insert a line or two dropping hints at it in every scene, but like it wasn't interesting to me. Yeah, that she ends
0: up just being like an ex, exposition bot for a lot yeah. of it, kind of explaining the rules of this universe and what goes on and how it affects Earth.
1: Can I just say the naming her character Proctor, Ryan Reynolds, when his soul leaves the Earth, shoots up through the clouds and into her office, and on her desk is a sign that says Proctor. I'm like, oh, Ryan Reynolds is now going to have to take a test because he is meeting a proctor, who is a person who administers a test, right? right. I mean, it's, it's
0: got to take my, the heaven SATs. I,
1: I actually threw me off. It took me a while to figure out that that was not her title. That was right. her
0: name. I don't know if they ever explicitly say that it's not her title. It very well could be. And they just call her proctor. Maybe she doesn't have a name. But That's
1: possible. I saw her being called chief proctor in other places, but those may have all been amateur swings at trying to figure out who she was.
0: Yeah, who knows? I mean, that could be her actual job title. Maybe she's an angel. We don't know her real name, but I don't know. Heaven doesn't look great in this movie. Well, I guess it's purgatory, really. It's a
1: weird mix of things. It's reminiscent of Men in Black's headquarters. Big, spacious. No.
0: This movie did something that's reminiscent of Men in Black.
1: <laughs> yeah. But then it's also <laughs> reminiscent of uh, It's a Small World because there's a bunch of weird giant cartoon gears on the back wall that turn. Yeah. I don't know.
0: Yeah. All right. So Nick and Roy get to work. They bust their first Dedo together and find some more of the gold shards. Nick follows a hunch and discovers that Roy's informant is working with his old partner, Bobby, and that Bobby seems to be leading the Dedo effort to collect the mysterious gold pieces. But the partner's police work is overly loud and destructive, and they get in trouble with the higher ups who also reveal that the gold shards will form the Staff of Jericho, an ancient artifact that will bring down an apocalypse of dead souls back to Earth.
1: Well, the stakes yeah. are getting higher, if you care.
0: At least we understand what the whole end game of the movie is now. To kind of go back to the first section a little bit, but was it also painfully obvious to you that Kevin Bacon was a bad guy from, like, moment he stepped on screen?
1: Yeah, I think so. And I wondered, is that Kevin Bacon's acting skill? Is that... His default resting face. I now think
0: he has evil resting face. Yeah, I don't trust him in anything. I don't care. Like <laughs> he's always not trustworthy to me. I think that's just maybe I've seen him play evil too many times over the years. Yeah. But I also think when you have Kevin Bacon was maybe the biggest star in this movie when the movie was released, right? I don't know. You could argue him or Ryan Reynolds. It's hard to remember, but Kevin Bacon's a big name. Sure. He's not just gonna be the partner of Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> like right. he's gonna have he's gonna have a role to play in the whole arc of the storyline. So, if you use that logic and you know from the marketing campaign that Jeff Bridges is really the partner, it stands to reason that Kevin Bacon's going to be the bad guy.
1: Yeah. And I think, I mean, does he do anything outright sneaky in that first locker room scene? I feel like he, if he didn't, he just telegraphed it well with his eyes. But then it doesn't take him long to kill his partner. So, like, yeah, you don't sure. get a ton
0: of buildup after that locker room scene. So it's hard to say. I can't remember. Yeah. This movie's not memorable. Yeah, they go
1: straight from the guy taking off his towel to get in the van. We're going down to bust the drug. The king meth,
0: the meth dealer, or the yeah. meth cooker.
1: At least we give the movie that much credit. They didn't waste time there. They didn't like no. set that up. That just a guy runs in the room and it's like the big meth dealer is. We're gonna take him down now. Get in the van. Like
0: okay. Yeah, the movie's a relatively breezy hour and thirty six minutes, which you know blessings. Yes. Blessings on them for that because this movie was much longer. I don't know. I might have tapped out and said, "Sorry, Ian, we got to cover another movie this week." <laughs> but let's get into like the language that they're trying to develop in this world to make it feel a little more lived in, I imagine. But like mm-hmm. the term deto, I don't like it. It doesn't feel right. It's not like any snappier or faster than just saying like dead guy or like dead person. No, I had the
1: same thing. I'm with you on it. It's it feels icky
0: for Why does it feel icky? It's not a big word. I guess it feels like a slur almost. I don't know. Like, Maybe. Something about it just doesn't, it doesn't work. I, every Dedo. time they said Dedo, I, like it kind of took me out of the moment. I just wanted them to be like, just call them a fucking ghost. They're ghosts.
1: And I get it. Like you're saying, the, the movie needed its own sort of lingo, especially if you're establishing that, hey, you're being welcomed into this uh, secret world where all this big stuff has been going on without your knowledge. They all have to talk their talk, but none of the things are really fun. They talk about the the dedos they talk about leaving some soul stank like yeah. that's how they corrupt the living world with their evil and sort of rots plants and bubbles the wallpaper and
0: breaks the elevators that little i did like the little detail about if a dedo is around you can kind of look for those signs uh-huh but yeah calling it a soul stank doesn't like <laughs> that sounds like it would have been the name of a fucking like 311 album
1: exactly <laughs> that took t- me back It's It's like, like, oh yeah,
0: I I think I saw Soul Stank open for (laughs) Sublime with Rome in 2011 or some shit. Yeah, none of these little cute terms that they're trying to make stick are working for me. It just, it didn't feel authentic. It felt like what they were trying to do, which is their... aren't like written into the script because they help the script they're written into the script because it's like oh it's gonna it's gonna do some lifting for us and make this world feel more lived in but when you see the seams that clearly it has the opposite effect
1: yeah all the pieces are there they just it shows you what happens when you put all the pieces in but yet the gears don't really turn for you and then there's weird jokes like there's this recurring bit where roy tells the the old guy, tells the young guy to stay frosty or get frosty or what he uses. This actually fires off such a set of like a term so fast. He's like, get your snowman on, get frosty, get icy hot. And Ryan Reynolds goes, why are you? It sounds like you're throwing cop terms at me. And yeah, that's actually the audience reaction. Like, what are you doing? Why are you talking like this? Did you get what the joke was supposed to be?
0: No, I mean, I've heard the term stay frosty before, like in a similar context, but it just keeps piling on top of it. And did not work for me. I think it's like the old guy is trying too hard
1: to be hipper than the young guy, but he's not really hip, but you can't tell if he's supposed to be failing or he's supposed to actually have embraced it so much that he's ahead of the curve of Ryan Reynolds. It's just kind of like, he's just saying some things because they thought it would sound funny to come out of his
0: mouth. Right. Like he wouldn't have known those terms when he was alive. Like they didn't have refrigeration then. He doesn't know what fucking frosty means. So
1: Yeah, he's got this weird mix of like old and new, and then he throws in a joke later about, did you ask Bobby to come to your house to delete your browser cache or clean right. the porn off your hard drive? Another modernity sort of thing that they never quite established. Like, does Roy have a passion for the modern world that he's now trying to pick up and show off all these things? I mean, his portal being-
0: to Earth is in a VCR store, which is a dead technology to us, but would be mind-blowing to him. Yes. So, <laughs> what What he kind of enjoys and understands about the modern world and modern technology isn't really clear it doesn't hang together at least
1: from what we could tell
0: then there's some scenes that were just stupid for the sake of being stupid and overly sophomoric like ryan reynolds kicks a dedo in the balls and then the dedo farts like they have oh, gas God. in this movie too like he's fucking dead and he's been dead for a while not like recent dead where i know sometimes <laughs> you expel some gas right but that's just come on it man. could have been justified
1: it was just they were definitely going for this sort of juvenile gross out thing the weirdness of the cgi of the dettos to me seemed like a choice that they were sort of drawn in a cartoonish fashion rather than being as real or frightening as they might have otherwise been sure but it made it's another thing where you're like okay who's this movie for it's got this whole storyline about a man and his wife and feelings of betrayal and what he did to make their life better which is not interesting to 14 year olds and then it's got kicking the balls gross dead guy fart jokes right like who are we aiming for with this thing
0: do you find us asking that question often with these type of movies i think we we might have hit upon something here yeah we write our fucking thesis when this is all over i feel (laughs) like Pick an audience and appeal to it. it might be the main crux of it. Yeah. But yeah, I, th- I think thing. making the CGI cartoonish is fine, except for when it's not supposed to be cartoonish, like when Ryan Reynolds dies and he falls off the crossbeam and lands on his head. Like, that's bad CGI, man. And it's supposed to be real. There's nothing supernatural happening yet.
1: <laughs> well, see, I went the other way. With, I totally know what you're talking about. That was very Bugs Bunny or Roadrunner or something like, yeah, he mm-hmm. falls on his head in this upside down curved layout flip position and bonks and then flattens out. And it's definitely goofy. But that was the one that I actually decided to accept. And, oh, this is how he perceives it. Because later he talks about he got shot in the face and he's not bleeding. There's no bullet wounds on him in that sequence as he's falling. So like that's already in my mind what the director and the filmmakers were going for was He's dead. That's his experience of having been killed by the machine gun blast and his corpse and soul sort of spiraling down the catwalk and bonking itself in a funny way.
0: I'd say that's charitable, but I can see where he are gone with it. don't mind it. Yeah. What am Um, I doing? I
1: just spent like 45 (laughs) seconds defending a stupid thing in this film.
0: No, I'm I'm angry. So sometimes you have to calm me down because my anger might be misguided. Or
1: maybe I might be riling you up more with this stuff. Maybe. Maybe.
0: So then there's uh, the scene with Fat Elvis.
1: Oh boy, Fat Elvis.
0: Yeah. You want to talk about Fat Elvis a little?
1: Fat Elvis was, okay. So my, I have a pet theory on this too, was that maybe in the comic book or maybe in a version of the script, they're like, one of the deados is literally Elvis. And it's hilarious because he's a bad guy in this and he's come back and uh, you realize it's actually Elvis and he's a bad guy now.
0: Elvis probably be, yeah, he'd probably be a deado. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then they got to making it and they're like, uh, no, we can't do that. The state will sue the shit out of us.
0: Graceland's we'll going to ne- come for us.
1: We'll never get that on screen, but we like the idea. So why don't we make the guy wear Elvis glasses and give him some sideburns, but make sure that he's a uh, redhead because we can't get too close to Elvis. but Also, make him not Southern, but then when he pops and turns into a Ditto, make him turn Southern and then make him say an Elvis line, but only one. And and so it's really weird. What the heck was it? What did you think was going on?
0: Felt like, like you said, a line that started and stopped. And then what we're seeing is just the weird remnants of a written, but ultimately not completely filmed storyline, maybe uh-huh. like, it, it really feels like a half-baked idea.
1: And like all the dedos are dopey. Like the guy started out, he could talk in complete sentences when he looked like a person and then he snorted the cumin. And then after that, he just went, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. And that's what they all talked like.
0: It's like they lose their humanity even more and they, they lose whatever intelligence they may have had guess but not kevin bacon well the inconsistencies with kevin bacon's character and his dead form will come up shortly anything else in this section you want to talk about or you want to move to the end
1: now let's move on so despite the fact that they got suspended nick and roy keep on working the case as cops do in these stories they go ahead and apprehend bobby bring him to the ripd station whereupon bobby springs his plot he we went there on purpose. He actually frees himself. Plus he frees all the remaining gold shards that were stored in the evidence locker.
0: Avengers. So, Dark oh, sorry.
1: Just... <laughs> so they keep it down back there. So then Nick and Roy chase the deados to the top of a building where they face off in a massive final showdown. And guess what? The good guys win. Eventually they destroy the staff of Jericho and they kill Bobby and everyone's okay.
0: Man, yeah. the bad guy meant to get Taken into custody trope was at its height in 2013. We had Avengers. We had oh. Star Trek Into Darkness. Okay. We had The Dark Knight. What else? I feel like that's yeah. come up more than that. And then this movie. So there's another few movies that's ripping off. I think some yeah. of those came out after this movie. Hold on. Now it's going to drive me crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember it clearly. In the, the Dark Knight did it very well.
0: Yeah. Oh, The Avengers was 2012. The Dark Knight was way before that. I think The Dark Knight was like 07. Star Trek Into Darkness. When did that come out? 2013. Oh, okay. Okay yeah
1: so yeah and the thing is in this movie it's not done that well it's actually over telegraph bobby the whole time from the time he lets them into his house he's acting super coy and cute and being all cutesy and suspicious and like they never even tell him to shut up or acknowledge how weird he's being the right whole time. the whole
0: his whole demeanor tells you that this is part of his master plan, which removes any tension from the proceedings.
1: Right. And yeah, we don't get to think that, oh, he's gonna be taken down. He's we get his come up and, can see it.
0: Right. They're clearly telegraphing that he's not worried at all. So why should we be worried? Because this whole scene is clearly just part of some grand scheme.
1: Yeah, he's grinning. Like this is a character who's a little bit surly a tough guy cop. We haven't even seen him smile the rest of the movie. He smiles from ear to ear the whole time from the moment they set foot in his house to apprehend him until he springs the trap in the police station. He's grinning like an idiot.
0: And then he so he's been dead for so long that when they finally take off his St. Christopher medallion which through some plot device explanation keeps <laughs> him from going full deto right. and keeps things around him from decaying. His house like breaks in half and crumbles. Right. But then when he finally goes deto, he's just looks A little different. He's, like, slightly taller, and he's got a gash in his head and some weird scars, but still looks like Kevin Bacon. Was Kevin Bacon in his contract? Just like, look, if I do this, I better look like Kevin Bacon the whole time. I'm not going full CGI creature.
1: That's a good question. Was that a vanity thing, or was that— So the other thing that you made me ask when that happened is that the first time a guy pops— use the cool lingo that they're going with he his mouth like turns into this big gross disgusting enormous mouth and roy points out this is what happens because whatever they were in life it gets exaggerated in their features as the dedo this guy was clearly a snitch they like established the reality that the rules of this world are that you can tell what a dedo did in his real life so like Mm. by the time we get to bobby at the end of the movie we've
0: pretty much forgotten that because we've seen a bunch of other ones. Yeah, I think they abandoned the whole (laughs) idea by then.
1: But it makes me wonder, like, was there supposed to, if you, could we reconstruct, what gives you a sort of cracked granite skull Thick-headed?
0: Was he too thick-headed, too stubborn? I don't know. That feels like a stretch. I feel like the filmmakers also never had this conversation that we're having now, or else maybe it would have been clearer.
1: Maybe they would have thought of something, or maybe they had already sketched it on a napkin and that's the direction they were going.
0: Staff of Jericho, also not really a staff. No, not at all. That's a good point. More of an obelisk, really, and or some kind of pillar. Yeah. It was a big pillar. And a staff is something you could hold you could in, hold your, in hand. your hand. Yeah. This was nothing like a, like a like staff. Like a gandalf. Like a, a gandalf. It's just it's a group of people now. But <laughs> a Gandalf of staffs. A Gandalf of Staffs. And also like they're just like, oh yeah, it's gold and it's uh special. Like they never get into where the gold came from. Was it like at least Pirates of the Caribbean when I pulled that you have to collect all the gold to not be spooky skeletons anymore? It was like it's cursed Spanish gold or Incan gold or whatever it was. I haven't seen that movie in a while. Yes. It gave you at least like they were trying to explain it. I say it a lot, but they made it work within the logic of their own movie. Here, they're just like the staff. Bah, it's special. And they did
1: it like secondhand too, because they decided that the authorities on high, the uh, eternal affairs of the RIPD. <laughs> Was um, That's a good gag. That they spoke by sending written messages in uh, pneumatic air tubes. So that made their exposition necessarily terse and uh, kind of cold because Proctor had to just read it off a sheet. Like, oh, well, thousands of years ago, there was a staff of Jericho and it was bad.
0: Bad staff, don't let it get built again, is what they wrote. I find pneumatic tubes like that, though, super interesting. I don't know. The whole mechanism fascinates me. I'm easily easily fascinated, I guess. And every time I see them, I'm like, oh, the mailroom. I don't know. Maybe (laughs) it's from Elf.
1: Yet another movie. We should have been keeping a running score. If you are one of our premium members who gets to see the special secret Ian show notes that have incredible depth of uh, (laughs) catalog of everything we do. Check the show notes. You will see all of the references that we've dropped so far.
0: There are no special tiers to see our special show notes. We only put out one set of show notes and they will not include any of this information. Don't listen to Ian.
1: Because no one has signed up for my ultra (laughs) Patreon tier yet, but one day they will.
0: There's not even any information about how they could sign up anywhere. (laughs) It's on the special show notes. Do you see the problem here? (laughs) Got a bit of a circular logic going on.
1: We're a new podcast. We'll work this stuff out. (laughs) Give us time.
0: So especially at the end here, I noticed the CGI really coming apart and not quite working for me. This whole car chase scene they have at the end. Is there an explanation for why their car is essentially invincible? Is it a special car? Do they explain that? And I missed it. I don't think so.
1: I don't know, but I do know that the cars in Men in Black did some cool, crazy stuff. And so they should probably do it in this movie.
0: Yeah. I mean- that's probably about as far as they got to. <laughs> so, But then, never mind the car being invincible, we have Roy and Nick fighting on the rooftop, and neither of them has any weapon that can hurt the other. So they're just fighting for no reason. There's no stakes. That's a good point. Nick's not trying to shoot Bobby, I guess, with shooting. How do you kill Nick at this point? I don't even know. Can he die?
1: I, I noticed early on that Roy says, here's the bullets, and you shoot him in the head, and that sends them back to wherever. And he says, they won't hurt living people, but they will hurt us. But do the Dedos have those same guns and bullets? They
0: do, yeah. I remember the one guy had a minigun, like a Gatling Oh, right. He gun. had a
1: minigun. Was he shooting those glowing white bullets? Maybe he was. He was. He was.
0: Okay. Yes, yeah, so they have those. Okay, but either way, Bobby's not trying to shoot Nick at this point with a gun, and Nick's not trying to shoot Bobby with a gun. So they're just fighting, and they don't even seem to be like hurting each other. Like They're dropping increasingly heavy things on each other. But so what? So fucking what? This is the big fight at the end of the movie? It doesn't mean anything. There's no way for them to hurt each other at this point. They're just wasting our time.
1: Yes. In the same way that Bugs Bunny was wasting our time way back when.
0: Yeah. But Bugs Bunny didn't have a $154 million budget. It didn't take up 96 minutes of my fucking life. So he was funnier. And he was funnier. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, he was a little wittier, but that's the problem. No stakes at this end fight. Really? The stakes are about them activating the staff of Jericho, but the fight between Nick and Bobby just feels like the filmmakers felt like they had to make them fight. So they're going to fight even if they're not actually trying to hurt and or kill each other, really.
1: Yeah. And it gets back to the main problem of the movie. There's no literal stakes like their lives aren't at stake and their their characters aren't at stake, right? They're just trying to bust through obstacles, which often happens, especially in the final act of action movies. It's mostly about the obstacles and doing literal fights and you have to get from here to there and you have to get past these bad guys. But there's not like, oh, if Ryan Reynolds doesn't finally realize that he should have really something, then he'll
0: never beat the bad guy. There's nothing like that. It's just like... Right. There's no hero's journey. It's just, yeah. I want to get into heaven eventually. So I got to work for this company.
1: And I keep keep fighting until Jeff Bridges can pull the thing out and help me. It felt
0: very much guy. like they thought they had a good premise and they were like, we'll make the movie, whatever the villain is, whatever the central conflict is, doesn't matter because the premise is cool enough. We'll work on all that in the sequel. And then it lost $93 million and of course a <laughs> sequel never happened and this is what we're left with.
1: We talked about maybe uh, Kevin Bacon's weird deado look was in his contract and he required that he didn't get too ugly for the mm. final scene. I have another theory, another fan theory to the extent that fans exist for this movie. My right. fan theory is that Jeff Bridges was lured into signing this deal Because they told him, buddy, you get to write a song and you get to sing it in this movie. And at the the beginning of the third act is this low point, quiet scene. Nick and Roy lounging on some chairs down by the river and lamenting the way everything looks hopeless. And Jeff Bridges pulls out a little concertina accordion and starts singing a song. And it's dumb and it's not Very good. Now, Jeff Bridges,
0: he's an accomplished songwriter and a pretty good one. Yeah. But this is not his finest work. And
1: it's a parody song, right? It's got a joke in it about the coyotes that (laughs) fucked him, if you find that funny.
0: They never say the word in this (laughs) movie, but (laughs) they heavily allude to it.
1: They did not want the rating that came with saying that word. but And I didn't want to say that
0: word. They made love to his skull.
1: I may bleep it. Don't believe yeah, it. If you didn't hear what I said, you can figure it out by now. Skull fucked. But anyway, yeah, Jeff Bridges wrote that song. He co-wrote it with T-Bone Burnett, who, if anything, sounds slightly Americana or rootsy in the movie. T-Bone Burnett is somewhere lurking behind the scenes. He's a regular collaborator with Jeff Bridges in his actual musical career.
0: Did he collaborate with him in Crazy Heart? I think so. Because that's a good a, movie.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen that. I've seen some scenes from it. But yeah, I think Jeff Bridges is a much more entertaining singer in that than he is in this one. But whatever he got, he got a song. It's in the credits. And uh, good for you, Jeff. You got something out of this movie.
0: You got something out of this movie. We didn't. And that's R I P D. So see you next week. No, I'm kidding. We got to talk a little bit about the production of the movie and the release of it and where everybody ended up for. Them. Yeah. So we mentioned critics did not like this movie. 13% on Rotten Tomatoes.
1: That's really low.
0: Yeah. I read every positive review because there's only like six. Okay. Um, and most of the positive reviews boil down to it's okay. So it's not like anybody was out there <laughs> waving the flag for RIPD really hard. People were just like, it's not terrible. And I counter that. Yes, it is. But people are allowed to have opinions about movies that are different from mine. Sure. That goes for you listeners. So if you account for inflation, this movie is in the rare $100 million loss club. Not a lot of members in that club. Yeah, that's, that is prestige. Lost $93 million in hard money. But if you factor in inflation for 2021, we're over 100, just barely, like 101. So that's something.
1: Yeah. We Have we encountered this before? Is this a first- Oh, John
0: Carter's, like a, it, John Carter's in the $200 million club. Oh, okay.
1: Okay. Well, yeah, you so. can't touch John. I guess we set a high bar right out of the gate, didn't we? How are we ever going to get back to that?
0: We did. I mean, John Carter's not the biggest, though. I think Lone Ranger and Mortal Engines might be higher than John Carter. So- We'll get around to those eventually. Oh, that's fun. And, and then you got the ones like Heaven's Gate that maybe didn't lose as much hard money, but were so bad they essentially bankrupted entire studios. Yeah. So
1: <laughs> I have that to look forward to. But this is a pretty good. This is a nice big milestone movie. Nice
0: big bomb. Yeah. So Lenkoff had written several movies prior to writing the R.I.P.D. comic book. He wrote Demolition Man, a movie I actually pretty much enjoy. I, I like that movie. It's not perfect. It hasn't aged 100 percent great, but you know sometimes you have to appreciate a movie for the era in which it was made. Sure. And Demolition Man was a lot of fun back then. He also wrote Universal Soldier 2 and 3, not the original, and a uncredited rewrite on Ballistic X vs Sever, one of the biggest bombs of all time.
1: Oh, I hope we get to do that one.
0: Well, we'll definitely do that one. I tracked down a copy of it, so.
1: Oh, it's I- such a bomb that like you can't even stream it?
0: Yeah, it's not like nobody nobody really has it streaming. Lenkov did not return to write the 4-issue prequel comic series which was called City of the Damned tie into this movie. He doesn't seem to really be a comic writer by trade. I think maybe RIPD was kind of just a a fun distraction for him originally. So not a comic writer, but he does seem to be a real piece of shit. Wow. So he had assigned a deal with CBS TV studios in 2011 and was the showrunner for such great shows that I never watched like MacGyver and Magnum PI. Those are all fucking remakes. I just realized that while I was reading them off, I did all this research. I was like, these are all shows from like the seventies and eighties that he just remade. But that's neither here nor there. He was uh, fired in 2020 amidst allegations that he fostered a toxic work environment. MacGyver star Lucas Till even went so far as to say that he was suicidal over Lenkov's abuse, specifically body shaming him.
1: Holy shit.
0: So that's pretty bleak. So fuck that guy. He seems like a real dick. Allegedly. Yeah,
1: that's terrible. I mean, I didn't follow it, but I, I seem to remember there was something with Daniel Day Kim and Hawaii Five-O, and like...
0: Yeah, I don't know if that... I don't know if Lenkov himself was name dropped and all that, but yeah, okay. CBS TV studios did not have a great track record with any of these shows, regardless of Lenkov's involvement. But yeah, I'd have to go back and double check if he was personally named in those complaints.
1: Okay. Well, yeah, let's not go any further, but let's press the allegedly button before we get ourselves in trouble. Allegedly,
0: Right. Daniel day Kim, I just want to say, fucking great actor. He was so good on Lost.
1: He's <laughs> super cool.
0: Yeah, I loved him. On and that's Interesting, Zach Galifianakis was cast as Roy, but he had to drop out for scheduling conflicts. It's a very different movie, isn't it? That would have brought a really different energy.
1: Galifianakis always brings his own bubble of meta observation around him. And just to have him on that set, like looking at all this shit would have actually maybe made it all funny.
0: Yeah, I think it makes it a funnier movie. I don't know if it makes it a better movie. I'm. It could have still been, yeah. It's hard really for me to say fun. that like taking Jeff Bridges out of a movie will ever make it better. Now, that's a bridge too far for me, I'm, yeah, but it certainly is a different movie. Maybe you have Zach Galifianakis and Jeff Bridges as the two leads. Have Zach play Nick Walker. It could be fun. <laughs> that would be unconventional and really funny. Then Jodie Foster was uh, considered for the role of Proctor, eventually going to Mary Louise Parker, as you mentioned. But I don't think that changes the movie drastically. They're both good actresses. They both could handle that role pretty well. They do stoic well. They do authority figures well. I, I don't think that's a huge shift in either direction.
1: It's harder for me to picture Jodie in the sort of over-the-top, absurd part of this, but she's quite an actress. She could have pulled that off.
0: Yeah, I don't doubt that she could pull off any role, really. Yeah. So the movie was not screened in advance for critics, which is always a good sign. And then Jeff Bridges was actually asked about this movie during a Reddit Ask Me Anything discussion, which is, for the unfamiliar, it's basically a pretty cool like open source interview on Reddit where you can ask an actor questions and if he wants to answer your question, he'll just reply to your post. They run for a couple hours usually. I right. think they were a bigger deal a few years ago than they are now because Reddit's had some issues and some stars don't want to be associated with it. But it, like in right, the early yeah. 2010s, it was a big deal. So you'd see it for a lot of movies.
1: Yeah, AMA. It's a legit thing.
0: And so he was asked about his involvement with the movie. He said he enjoyed making the movie with the cast and the crew, but said the studio interfered with the movie. His exact quote was the suits just cut it against the grain. And I I thought screwed it up, called the film underwhelming. So, it's not like he had any big misconceptions about this movie and and what it ended up being, but and to be clear, when we bash a movie like this, we're not bashing the actors for doing it or most of the time, even the directors for trying to make it. There's a lot that goes into making a movie. It's not an easy thing to do. It just didn't pan out. Yeah. So you kind of mentioned that the name R.I.P.D. is a little bit of a mouthful.
1: I couldn't figure out how to say it.
0: And they don't have a tagline. R.I.P.D. Rest in peace department. It's just R.I.P.D. is, is the only thing you see on the posters. I wonder if that hamstrung the movie a little bit. Do You think maybe?
1: Uh, I don't want to think that we are blowing movie titles up into something bigger than they are but it seems to keep coming up that like titles are important and i don't know sometimes that's all you got is that poster you see a bus go by there's a picture and you recognize the actor and they have some cool costume and there's a title and you go okay i want to see what that is or something turns you off and sometimes that's all it takes
0: so i wonder if the movie had a better title maybe it would have attracted more of an audience do you think we can take a shot at coming up with some better ones
1: sure we can take a shot at it i thought of right away paranormal craptivity
0: hey that's
1: not better because i have insulted the movie but at least it's (laughs) honest
0: what about irpd and that stands for i'd rather a punch in the dick because (laughs) i'd rather get punched right in the fucking dick than watch this movie again probably not going to draw new more of an audience but we may have misunderstood the assignment but it's
1: funny i would have still called it RIPD. Funny that you okay. had one like that. I would have kept it RIPD, except that in my case, it stands for Rescue Ian Paul Dukes from this movie because <laughs> I need to get
0: out. How did I miss that your initials are <laughs> in the movie title? That's great. I have Ghostbusters comma also. Just, yeah, it's not Ghostbusters 2, but it's Ghostbusters also. Oh, yeah. yeah. It is
1: also that. Very much so. I had uh, ACAB, A-C-A-B, which stands for All
0: Cops Are Beyond the Grave. Hey, here's a good one. In this movie, at least. They were. Even Kevin Bacon's dead. and We don't know that till the end.
1: That's true. They pretty much all were, except for the naked guy in the locker room.
0: My last one this is pretty straightforward. Dead Pooh. <laughs> um, because a lot of dead people in this movie, Deadpool was a very popular. Ryan Reynolds movie that came sure. out in 2015. Very and also it was a fucking piece of shit. So Deadpool,
1: I like how I had a crap one and you had a poo one and we bookended the whole set with that.
0: That's right. It's nice. Don't fecal. We
1: don't plan these folks. These are No, no I don't
0: know Ian's ahead of time. He doesn't know mine <laughs> during the John Carter episode. We actually did say the same he said one that I had lined up and I had to improv. So that was a little stressful, but
1: yeah, that's so, why you should always come up with an extra
0: set of bad ones that didn't make the cut. If you need, Oh God, it. I don't have it, but I, I was pretty certain you were not going to pick dead poo. I <laughs> had
1: dead tool. In oh, my, wow, okay. In my cast off list along with phantom of the copper and the copping dead. Which none of those made the cut.
0: I think phantom of the copper solid. That works. So what happened to the people involved in this movie after? We always like to look at the long-term impact of a bomb. Surprisingly, few ramifications for these guys. Jeff Bridges is an institution at this point. He works when he wants to work. If he wants to be in your movie, he's going to be in your fucking movie. So it didn't really affect him at all. Reynolds, I would say he was in a little bit of a slump when this movie came out and immediately after. The three movies he'd starred in were The Change-Up, which made $75 million on a $52 million budget. That's bad. I know that sounds like it made money, but when you factor in marketing prices and theater cuts, it did not. That lost money.
1: Not enough, yeah.
0: Green Lantern made $219 million on a $200 million budget. That's a huge bomb.
1: That's a famous Uh, stinker. I have not yet seen it, but I look forward to
0: I think I might have once... But, you know, absentmindedly had it on in the background. It didn't spark the desire to rewatch. And so that that might be in the $100 million club. I've got to crunch the numbers and and do some research. But and then Safe House with Denzel Washington was a modest hit. And then this came out and then he started doing some real low budget movies. He did The Voices, The Captive and Mississippi Grind in 2014 and 2015. I haven't seen The Voices or The Captive. I do really like Mississippi Grind, but it's a small movie. It's like a gambling drama with him and Ben Mendelsohn. Uh, Really cool little movie. I think it's on netflix it was when i watched it but then he had sci-fi thriller selfless was his next kind of high profile movie that was a critical and commercial bomb as well made 30 million dollars on a 26 million dollar budget and it wasn't until 2016 when deadpool came out that his career kind of rebounded and he became the big bankable movie star we know now
1: interesting guy i guess he was young enough and talented enough that he probably had a few moves before this like didn't he started out
0: didn't yeah he he had of- like van wilder blade trinity He did, oh, the Amityville horror was before this too. That was kind of a big budget studio horror movie. Yeah.
1: He's got some magic that lets him go from comedy to serious and back and forth. And like, in a way, not that no one else can do it, but like somehow he's been able to just insinuate himself into a lot of different movies and multiple genres. Yeah. I mean,
0: he's extremely charming, I think is what it comes down to. And he's obviously ridiculously handsome. Well, he also, before this, played Deadpool in X-Men Origins Wolverine, which is just a pile of shit of a movie. And they ruined the Deadpool character in there and I think almost kind of killed the Deadpool idea of him getting his own standalone movie. Wasn't he the guy with no mouth in one of those movies? The Merc with a mouth is Deadpool's nickname in the comic books, so they took away his mouth. You got Ryan Reynolds, a very funny actor, good with words. What should you do? Take away his mouth, of course. That
1: was Dead that character was Deadpool? I remembered yeah. it as weird mutant guy with no mouth and like sword arms or something.
0: Yeah, that's what they made him, but that was Deadpool. If you the Holy scenes shit. of the movie with him in it, he's Wade Wilson, and uh, that's yeah, a pretty bad iteration of the character, you to say yeah, the least. Yeah,
1: he's a non-talking monster. He's in there as a guy just because his body is good. I'm like, why did they cast this actor who I think I think I've seen doing funny roles before and made him just be like a body model with a bunch of scars. He was passionate
0: scenes. about the character Deadpool and wanted to make a standalone Deadpool movie. So I think this was their way to try to intro them, but they did such a bad job with it that obviously the Deadpool movie got put on the back burner and almost didn't get made a bunch of times. They finally were able to get it made eventually and it turned out to be a massive hit, obviously.
1: Wow, you blew my mind with that. I never connect. I would have never yeah. in a million years thought that was the same character.
0: I would tell you to go back and watch it through that lens, but don't. That movie sucks. Okay. Um, so now the director's Schwenke, he would go on to direct both the second and third films of the Divergent series, Insurgent, which was a modest success. And the third, which is titled Allegiant, was a box office bomb. So the further entries in that series were canceled. First, they were moved to be a stars movie, like to release on the premium cable channel stars. But then they said, never mind, we're just not going to make it at all. Oh, <laughs> and when you
1: don't make the stars cut, that hurts.
0: When you don't make the stars cut, that's not a great <laughs> sign. He would also direct a low budget historical drama called The Captain, which didn't get a wide release, but got pretty good reviews, so it seemed like he made... Kind of a passion project for himself there. But his next big budget movie is Snake Eyes G.I. Joe Origins, which is going to be released in theaters July 23rd, 2021, and then on this podcast shortly thereafter. Oh, <laughs> I am just guessing. What a prediction. <laughs> Something tells me that movie's going to fucking bomb. Unless it's like the post COVID rush to the theater where everybody just needs to go see anything.
1: Did I not see the trailer for that movie seven years ago?
0: You might've seen the trailer. Like Snake Eyes, I think is in G.I. Joe and the second G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra or whatever it was called. So there were other G.I. Joe movies
1: That would certainly would feature some Snake Eyes. I remember Snake Eyes was like pretty nearly my
0: favorite little G.I. Joe toy back when I had a bunch of those. Yeah. I mean, I'll probably check it out. Not in the theater, but something tells me. Oh, I like the machine
1: gunner guy with the motorcycle sidecar with the machine gun in it and he had
0: a blonde beard. Anyway. I know who you're talking about from the cartoon, but I don't remember his name. Yeah, so, Schwenke, I don't know how much you can say this movie harmed his career and how much Allegiant did. He certainly hasn't worked a ton since this came out, but it takes a long time to film a movie, and he's made three movies. Well, he's released three movies and filmed four since this movie came out, so he's had steady work. Four movies in eight years, I think, is a solid pace.
1: You can't complain too much. At this point, he's got himself a nice house or two, and the fact that Snake Eyes will bomb horribly will not ruin his children's (laughs)
0: lives. Yeah, it If that one bombs, I find it hard to picture him getting another big budget action movie after this one and Allegiant and Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes colon G.I. Joe Origins. (laughs) But, you know, I guess you don't want to call it Snake Eyes because Brian De Palma had a bomb with Nick Cage called Snake Eyes back in the 90s.
1: They could have just called it Snake Colon. That would have been provocative.
0: Snake Colon. Well, their whole body's (laughs) kind of like their colon.
1: Yeah. Do they have a colon? Do they have a colon? I don't know. know. That turned into a different podcast where we (laughs) do Snake Anatomy.
0: We are not a nature podcast, but also a companion video game was released for this movie and also nobody liked it. So not a lot of fans of anything to do with this movie. You don't even see like there's no ride or die fans of the comic book even.
1: Yeah, that's what it it sounds like. It was sort of a dilettante comic book guy, like it didn't have that
0: real cred. Yeah, and that kind of brings me to my final thought on the movie, which is... When you're like, I hate to use the term scraping the bottom of the barrel because I'm sure there's fans of this comic book out there and I don't want to insult something they hold dear, but this wasn't a big name IP and you take it and you put kind of unproven actor in the lead role and you throw $150 million at it. I don't know what path this movie had to success. You could have made a good movie with this premise and these actors, like I said, make it a little more of a hard-boiled take on a noir with some cool action scenes throughout, but it doesn't have to be the CGI schlock fest that it turned out to be because then... What do you need to do to break even on this movie? You need to make $300 million. You're not going to make $300 million on this movie.
1: No, it's a big gamble. That's like, yeah, putting it all on the hard way.
0: It just feels like you want to make this movie fine. I don't know why you have to make it this way and this big. Blockbuster movies, for better or for worse, can... I don't even know what I'm trying to say. It just <laughs> That's fair. Just,
1: That's what this movie does to you.
0: Right. I just, I don't know the thought process that went into making and releasing this movie with these stakes attached to it. You've got a director who made... Red had a $50 million budget. Modest hit. He's made. He hasn't made any big action spectacles like this that have succeeded. I think he kind of found his wheelhouse with these kind of mid-budget action movies for adults. Right. And that worked for him. Reality-based. Reality-based. I mean, At least whether you want to call... To- read reality base, but you know, it takes place in the real world and it follows at least ostensibly the logic of the real world. What makes you think he's the guy to helm your $150 million ghost PG 13, but mostly for kids, but also there's some subplots they won't understand. Action movie with Ryan Reynolds, a guy that is not a proven box office draw at this point in his career. Yeah. And then people's careers get fucked up over decisions like this. I don't think it's that hard from a studio perspective to see this going off the rails way ahead of time. And I know they know they had a stinker on their hands because they didn't show it to critics. But why did it even get to that far before you realized that you had a bad movie on your hands? It just speaks to like the hubris of Hollywood, I guess, is really what this movie is indicative of to me.
1: As soon as you watch this movie and you see what's going on, you hear the Hollywood scenes, the hypothetical scenes in your mind, the producer pitching it. It's like, what if Men in Black and Ghostbusters had a love child? And you you just see people salivating over, oh, yes, do that. Go do that thing. And like it's not that easy to do that thing but I don't know We have the budget I'm thinking like it's not that easy you just have to sort of settle for whatever director you can get attached but like if you think you're trying to recreate the success of Ghostbusters or Men in Black like iconic films that are like comedy first with special effects and a crazy world as the sauce drizzled heavily over the top of that but they're great comedies at heart
0: and not to interrupt your final thought but think about how much time Ghostbusters and Men in Black both spend setting up the world before the crazy shit starts happening Ghostbusters is like an ensemble comedy for 40 minutes.
1: Yeah, it maybe spends too much time hanging around, but audiences had different attention spans in the 80s.
0: Yeah, and Men in Black goes to great lengths to make us like and sympathize with Will Smith before he starts hunting aliens. Meanwhile, all we know about Nick by the time he dies is he's married, his wife doesn't like to wear pants around the house, and he's (laughs) a dirty cop.
1: So to tie that into my final thought, and not to belabor this movie too much, but even if you can't make... The story and the world and the special effects aren't that great and don't really grab people. The comedy maybe doesn't really grab people. You could still do in action movies is give your heroes some kind of journey. And it seems cheesy when you look at it from the structure of it, but like give your hero a flaw that you see is wrong and that you see got him into this trouble in the first place. Nick's flaw kind of was what got him into trouble, but actually he didn't deserve to be shot in the head by his partner. And his flaw of wanting some money, like you said, is not really set up. He wasn't in need. We hadn't even met his wife. And so it all happens off screen. He made that one mistake. He disavows it. The second scene of the movie, he's like, I was wrong. I shouldn't have taken the gold. It's like, oh, thanks. You just grew. But now the drama starts. Roy has a ton of flaws, but he doesn't change because he doesn't need to change he just fights harder and shoots harder. So there's no change, so there's nothing like on the line at the end of the movie to see if they're going to overcome their things. And then on top of that there's like no irony. The heroes succeed because they try hard, the bad guys fail because they weren't strong enough. Everything is straightforward. There's no real twist between expectation and reality. And so it just leaves you cold. It's been loud, it's been in your face, but it's been cold in my heart is what I would say.
0: Cold like a dead body maybe?
1: Like a dead body that needs to shuffle off this mortal coil and ascend to a peaceful afterlife and not come streaming down a cloud tunnel later in the movie. Well,
0: I'm about to ascend to a peaceful afterlife of smoking a joint and going to bed. That sounds nice. So, thank you guys for joining us this week for RIPD. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe if you're enjoying the podcast and if you can do that on your podcast platform of choice. Please do it. And thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week in the Blast Zone. See you next time in the Blast Zone. The Blast Zone.
1: Try